When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Thursday's Football Social Daily, edging ever closer to the weekend's Premier League action. A weekend which includes the small matter of Chelsea versus Manchester City. How good is that game looking right now? You can listen to The Dugout, our preview show with former top flight pros tomorrow evening, ahead of that one at Stamford Bridge on Saturday. Both of those clubs in Carabao Cup action midweek and both through to the fourth round too. Chelsea sneaking past Villa on penalties last night while Pep City smashed lower league Wickham on Tuesday. And it was comments about the lower leagues which have raised a few eyebrows. We'll come on to that shortly, as well as Manchester United being dumped out of the competition by West Ham just a matter of days after their Premier League blockbuster. Phil Jones was in the Man United squad after 18 months away. And with the 2022 World Cup on the horizon, the Premier League will officially break for seven weeks between November and December as focus switches to the international stage in Qatar. More on that later here on Football Social Daily, the only daily Premier League podcast out there. I'm Niall McCorn, still fighting this common cold like Kieran Dyer and Lee Bowyer fought each other for Newcastle in 2005. Something Marley Anderson, I'm sure, remembers very well. Morning, Marley. Morning, guys. Yes, remember that very well. Um, more, just remember Alan Shearer going over and trying to bury the pair of them before they got off the pitch. <laughs> Think, he may as well have got himself sent off and then you could have abandoned the game. <laughs> you might as well, yeah. I think Gareth Barry was the first to them, you know, to, to try and separate them, like thinking, what the hell's going on here? But yeah, just just one of the many embarrassing things that have happened to my club over the years that I've had to stick through. Well, my desired outcome is to kick the cold like Eric Cantona kicked that Crystal Palace fan that time. Jim Salverson's also here. Do you remember that, Jim? Would that have been when you started watching the Premier League around about that time? Yeah, definitely remember that. I'm just wondering whether Alan Shearer is paracetamol in the equation that you've kind of come up with in the scenario. Is he coming over there to kind of kick both of your asses? 
<laughs> I'm not sure a visit from Alan Shearer would really do me much good right now. <laughs> I'd certainly put him out of match of the day for a little while if he did come and see me at the moment. You know, anyway, if you, is any of you two just we're probably going off on a tangent here before we start the podcast? Have you two seen that um, fever pitch on BBC? You've been watching oh, about that? the Premier League. I haven't seen it yet, Marley. Yeah. No. So, so I watched the one yesterday, and it was um, I was on catch up. So I was watching the one about uh, Cantona kicking that fan. Yeah. Um, and what I didn't realise was when the fan was in court, because um, Cantona got jailed for two weeks and then it was overturned mm. on appeal, but the um, the guy got went to court as well who he kicked, um, and he ended up in court um, trying to fight the press, and he ended the up fan. trying to attack them. Yeah. Nice and he bloke. had to be physically, re- he had to physically be physically restrained by the, the you know, the, the security marshals and everything like that to stop him swinging wow. for everyone. So all of a sudden, I thought, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in agreement with Cantona, and I do wish he think he'd uh, kicked him harder. <laughs> wow. I've got as we're talking about that incident, I'm going to share a story about that as well because it's kind of related. There's another podcast I make called the Excess Long Player, and it's talking about classic Indian rock albums. If you search that, you can go and find it. And I spoke to. Rick from Ash recently. And do you remember Ash had that song Kung Fu? It was off their debut album, I think. And basically the cover of Kung Fu, it came out the same time that Eric Cantona performed his Kung Fu kick. So they picked that picture to be on the front cover of this single. And in the UK, you could do that absolutely fine. You contact the photographer, they own the rights, they grant you permission. In France... You have to contact the person who's in the photo to get their permission to use the image on the cover of the single. So they sent a fax to Eric Cantona and said, Eric, can we use your image of you kicking this fan on the cover of Kung Fu? And they just got a very simple reply saying, I spit on your music. (laughs) And that was it. That was the response. So they had to use a different cover art for the release in France. Do you know what? We could start our own podcast about Eric Cantona. And I'm sure there are plenty... And there's plenty oh, of great that. podcasts as well on the Sport Social Podcast Network. So go and check that out over on our website, sport-social.co.uk. You might just find the next best Eric Cantona story amongst our crop of podcasts there. Time to talk about football, though. That is what we're all about here on Football Social Daily, after all. And it has been the Carabao Cup third round this week. There were a handful of games on Tuesday, which were boxed off on yesterday's podcast by Fergal Brennan and the gang. And today we're going to look at some of last night's affairs, which involved Manchester United versus West Ham at Old Trafford just a few days after that brilliant Premier League game in which Jesse Lingard scored late and David De Gea saved an even later penalty from Mark Noble. Different scoreline this time around, though. West Ham came out on top at Old Trafford. They won by a goal to nil. In what was on the whole, Jim, actually a really competitive and quite enjoyable game. Oi, oi. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was surprisingly so. I did consider going at one point last night because Old Trafford's only down the road from me. But I changed my mind at the last minute because I thought with the team West Ham were going to put out in that competition because it is well down the priority list for them this season. I thought it was going to be an absolute hammering, but it turned out to be a decent game. Chances at both ends, both keepers making good saves and a result that was surprising, if not a little bit pleasing from me personally. Also, what I like to see as well was the Manchester United fans afterwards. I mean, the Ole out brigade were out in force, despite it only being the Carabao Cup. But the excuses that were being made, the fact that, oh, if you put a changed 11 out, if you change the whole team, you're going to get beaten, completely disregarding the fact that West Ham changed their whole team. It was only Jared Bowen who was the same from the weekend's action, and he was only playing because of the absence of Mikel Atonio at the weekend, who was serving the last 
game of his ban. So it was two second string teams. I think that's the important thing to remember. And quite simply, I think it looked like West Ham wanted it more. But if you look at the numbers that Manchester United had on that pitch, 1-11, to every single player that they had is a full international. And that should be enough to overcome a second string West Ham team that certainly has a few deficiencies in that squad. Um, So I think Manchester United will be disappointed, even though they clearly aren't that bothered about the Carabao Cup this season. Well, you conveniently forgot the fact that Mark Noble did actually play at the weekend, Jim, Um, albeit for 20 seconds. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, 10 changes for West Ham United, 11 for Manchester United. And as you say, Jim, when Manchester United lose a game, those questions over Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as Manchester United manager crop up. It doesn't matter what the result is, what the game is, who the opposition are. Every time United lose, is Oli good enough, is the question that comes out on social media. And what I saw from last night, Marley, is questions over those Manchester United fringe players. But Jim's right. You know, there's 11 full internationals on that field. And he's also right in what he says about Solskjaer's reaction after the game, where he didn't sound like he was too disappointed about going out of the Carabao Cup. He even hinted that that competition is just basically there for him to give minutes to the fringe players, which is what he did. But what did you think of last night and those, um, you know, those fringe players, Marley? Because Manchester United have been praised for the way that they've kind of rebuilt under Solskjaer and the strength of the squad now. And they do have a strong squad, but they didn't really show that last night, did they? No, not at all. I thought, um, if you look at the team, it's more than good enough to get a result. Um, you know, we mentioned how, how strong they are, but... One thing I'm thinking is I've never seen these, you know, I'm pretty sure these players have, haven't played together before. So when you make 11 changes, you know, that's that's another team entirely. It's not giving minutes to fringe players in the first team, you know, because you haven't, you haven't mixed it up with anyone that was playing at the weekend, you know. Um, Bruno Fernandes isn't playing, Ronaldo isn't playing, Maguire and, Matt and Varane at the back, Wan-Bissaka, Shaw, they're all not playing. So it's, it's, it's a totally different team. So you're you're asking eleven guys to come in and gel really quickly, and it's the first time they played together this season. Dallo was out on loan last season, um, so he wasn't even around. Uh, so was Lingard for the second half of last season. Martial was was injured for most of it, and you're then thinking like these lads haven't had the preseason together. Very you know, the preseason has been affected again by by COVID and travel restrictions and all the rest of it. And I'm just thinking like, is it is it too much to ask for? It's not too much to ask because they're all quality players, but it's not surprising that they couldn't gel properly. And, you know, a 35-year-old Juan Mata couldn't quite do it. And, you know, a 34-year-old Matic in midfield next to him against Van der Beek as well, who who I thought played all right, but didn't. You know, again, even if he plays really well, he's then going to have to come into another team at the weekend. Like, if he was to force his way into the Man United first team, it's a totally different eleven to the one that he played with at West Ham. So he's almost got to start again if he does do really well. So it's it's a tough one, really, because I think this competition is there for, to win for any team that takes it seriously. And the only team that's took it seriously in the last four years is Manchester City. And that's why they've won it the last four years at a canter. They've, they've just walked it, basically. Um, and with Man United's record against Man City, you know, if you can get to the final or, or draw them in a, uh, a semi or a quarter and you knock them out, you know, it's there for you to win. I don't think Man United have got too many sort of chances at uh, at winning things. Um, so with the ones that are slightly, 
you know, easier, so so to speak. Um, you should take them seriously. But last night, eleven changes, and in my opinion, they got what they deserved. Yeah, I mean, there's always that overreaction, as we already mentioned before, when Manchester United lose. Do you think those fringe players are good enough? Because we saw some players like Donny van der Beek, who's not really been given much game time under Solskjaer since his arrival at Old Trafford. But I thought he was okay, actually, Donny van der Beek and the performance he gave. Is it just the fact that West Ham were more hungry, more up for it, like what you and Marley have both suggested? Or is there a a question mark over the quality of the United reinforcements? I mean, everything that Marley said does apply in terms of you can't change a whole team and still expect them to gel. But you do have to bear in mind that West Ham changed the whole team as well, including two deputants on that pitch, a left back playing in an attacking role. So there are a few differences there as well. So it should even out in the long term. I think for me, and I'm I'm not massively anti-Solskjaer, I think he has developed that Manchester United squad. But I think also what gets forgotten is the amount of money he spent in doing so. And the players he's brought into that team, they should be doing better. And a few of those players that they spent big money on on were playing last night. The big question mark for me about Solskjaer, and I think this is what was evident last night, is how he manages players and how he develops players. And you look at that Manchester United team, be it the one that was playing last night or the one that was playing at the weekend, I think it's very difficult to see what development there is in any player in that team. Who's got better under Solskjaer? Potentially Mason Greenwood, you could say he's got better, but then he's broken through under Solskjaer. So it's very difficult to tell what he would have done under another manager. But you've got Donny van der Beek, who we say has struggled to make an impact. Jaden Sancho, I know it's really early days for him at Manchester United, but he's struggling in his early stage of his Manchester United career. Henderson, who looked unstoppable at Sheffield United, last season looks very average or looked very average last night in the game for Manchester United. So I think the the overreaction to the Carabao Cup game is unwarranted because at the end of the day, it is low priority for Manchester United. They should be focusing on the Champions League, the FA Cup, if not the Premier League title. So forget about the game in isolation. But I think it does flag some concerns about Solskjaer as a manager and how he brings players on. And you add to that, like the lack of development of those players. There's also players that have left Manchester United who have failed to find form at Old Trafford under Solskjaer and previous managers, to be fair, like Chris Smalling, who have gone away and found their form like Lingard coming to West Ham last season. So I think there is a kind of last night does lay bare maybe some of those questions about Solskjaer as a man manager and as a coach who can develop players. Well, West Ham got through last night. They won by a goal to nil. Just your thoughts, Jim, on who you've got next as a Hammers fan, because Marley touched upon how Manchester City have dominated the Carabao Cup in the last three or four seasons. That's who you've got next. I can't imagine you feel too confident going into that one, because as a Irons fan, it's been quite a while since you've last got your hands on a trophy. Yeah, and I get what Marley says about this cup is here for anyone who takes it seriously to win it. And I know what you've said previously about your belief that a football team should go hell for leather for any competition they're in because it is a fan's chance to experience glory. But I kind of think David Moyes played this one right in terms of his selection. And I think that is the way he'll continue in this competition. So even if it is Manchester City at the weekend, we're not going to see the full 11. We're going to see these fringe players getting game time, getting an opportunity to prove themselves. So with it being Manchester City next, I'll be honest, I'd rather see us go deep in the Europa League this season. I'd rather see us get out of the group and maybe get to the 
semis of that competition than I would see us get to a latter stage in the Carabao Cup where inevitably we'll draw Manchester City and get knocked out at that point because Manchester City like this competition. Phil Foden's even named his dog Carabao. There's, a, there's an indication <laughs> of how much they like it. So I'm, I'm not too bothered when we face Manchester City. For me, the Carabao Cup feels like an added fixture this season for a squad that is incredibly thin and is already going to struggle to participate in the Premier League and the Europa League and the FA mm. Cup. But this is a West Ham side who actually are capable of winning a trophy, which you didn't have even 18 months ago. So is it not just a case of striking whilst the iron's hot? Because, you know, you haven't won a trophy for a long time. And it's not very often that West Ham are able to be up there and compete with the top eight, really, in the Premier League. And that's exactly what's happening at the moment. The last two seasons have been brilliant. You're in Europe. And although, yeah, I think if you had a choice between getting to a Europa League semi-final and final and winning the Carabao Cup I, I, I don't I can understand why there'd be a toss-up there but surely West Ham fans just want some sort of tangible success because I understand everyone saying oh I'd love to finish fifth and get into Europe but if you get knocked out in the group stages what's the point but that's it isn't it that's in, it there the... when when Portsmouth were in Europe we got to we got to play AC Milan but if we had got drawn against someone like I don't know Carabag or you know, Astana or someone, it wouldn't have been the same. No, but that's the point, isn't it? It's West Ham giving themselves the best chance possible to perform in those competitions, which you wouldn't have if you played your full string in the Carabao. And I mean, it's been well documented, Mikel Antonio's importance to West Ham and the fragility of his hamstrings. So him playing <laughs> twice a week is, is just not an option. And the team aren't going to perform in the same way without him in the team. I, and I, I like the fact that this gives... I look at the West Ham eleven last night and I, there's players in there that I think have huge potential. I think Jared Bowen is an incredibly promising player, even though he's 26 or something now. I think he's developing all the time and I think he's tireless on the pitch. I really like him as a player. Alex Crowell, I thought, had a brilliant debut last night and giving him some game time, which you wouldn't necessarily get in the Premier League or the Europa League, is going to be valuable. Ben Johnson, at left back, I really like as a player. But again, he needs that first team experience. And then you've got Ariola playing in goal who's on loan this season but there's a commitment to buy at the end of the season so it's important to integrate him into the team and I think now his performance last night actually put some pressure on Fabianski um, to maybe lose that number one spot so I think it's important that West Ham do let even though they've got this smallish squad let their fringe players get some game time and the Carabao Cup is the only opportunity to potentially do that. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. And also Tottenham and Chelsea got through last night. Both of those teams on penalties, though. I want to ask about Tottenham just quickly first, Marley. They got to the League Cup final last season. They still got this spectre hanging over them that they haven't won a trophy since 2008. And they, you know, are supposed to be this big club with a brand new stadium. They don't have the silverware to back it up. Do you think that Tottenham and Santo are going to be targeting this competition again? Because it, it makes sense, doesn't it, that you just need to, as we were discussing just there go for it in pretty much every competition to get that monkey off the back yeah uh yeah definitely i think spurs are at a point where you've got to win something soon doesn't matter what it is just win something and then everybody can stop talking about the only thing you've won in the last 13 14 years is the flipping audi cup in pre-season or whatever you've won <laughs> so yeah, just go. Yeah, go for it if you Spurs. You know they've got two massive chances in, in my opinion this this year of winning, um, winning some silverware. Carabao Cup is obviously there for them, as I said before. Um, with you know anyone that takes it seriously can go really far, 
Um, and then they've obviously got the Europa Pot League, which is, you know, probably going <laughs> to, even if they win it, even if they win it, they're probably going to get laughed at, but still it's something to win. You get know? it right, Marley. It's the Europa Conference League sponsored by Pots. <laughs> it's not the, it's not the Pot League. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, even if they win that, you know, it's, it's Europa League qualification the year after, I think. So, you know, it's it's something to something to win there, but you know, if 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 you Spurs, you've got to be targeting everything. You can't be like, oh, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna try and go out the Carabao Cup because uh, we'd rather focus on the league and fighting for sixth and seventh with Aston Villa um, and and Everton and Leicester. You know, so yeah, go and win something. Give give your fans something to to not you know hang their heads over that they've gone fourteen or fifteen years without a trophy. So. Um, yeah, they they made hard work of it last night. They had it they had it in the palm of their hand and tried their best to throw it away, but eventually scraped through on penalties. So uh, yeah, they're still in the mix, and as long as they take it seriously, they can they can finally end this drought. Chelsea also managed to get through via the medium of penalties as well. Why is it, Jim, that this is one of the strongest Chelsea teams we've seen in the last few years, and they look like they are capable of winning every trophy available to them? Why is it that no one's mentioning them? as possible contenders for a quadruple this season. Now, before everyone unplugs their headphones and throws their phones against the wall listening to this show, just hear me out. A couple of years ago, Manchester City looked pretty formidable and they probably didn't have the level of competition that they've got now with Chelsea, United and Liverpool all looking strong again. But if Chelsea really are that good this season, why why is no one really suggesting that they could be in contention to win it all? Is it just the fact that there is so much extra competition around. I think that's exactly it. I mean, Chelsea do look formidable this season, but Liverpool look, look pretty formidable as well. Manchester City, they look pretty decent, and it's hard to see one team necessarily sweeping all others aside in their run to a quadruple. Add to that the fact, I mean, am I right in thinking that no one has ever won back-to-back Champions Leagues? Or did Real Madrid do it? I can't remember. Real Madrid have done it on a number of occasions, but no English side has ever won back-to-back Champions Leagues. Liverpool did it as as the European Cup, but not Champions League era, which is 92 on. So expecting that of Chelsea is puts them really on a pedestal as far as English teams are concerned then. So yeah, I mean, they can do it. It's just very difficult to see them being as dominant as maybe we would have expected. I mean, when we were talking about Manchester City doing the quadruple, they were clearly head and shoulders the best team in England at that stage. And still they slipped up at various stages in various competitions. So to expect Chelsea to be able to achieve that, I think is probably stretching a little bit. But that said, you look at the team they put out last night and that was definitely a second string team that they put out, even though they featured some big name superstars, it was still a second string team, but it's an incredibly strong second string team. And to have that strength and depth means they are definitely in the running for a quadruple. But let's not underestimate how difficult it is to do a quadruple. The fact that no English team has ever done it proves, I think, how challenging it is to lift that achieve that goal yeah absolutely and that's something Pep Guardiola was saying as well when people were talking about Manchester City and their chances for a quadruple we'll talk about some of Pep's other comments in the next part of Football Social Daily we'll also be talking about Phil Jones but the fourth round draw for the Carabao Cup was made after the full-time whistle last night Chelsea 
will welcome Southampton to Stamford Bridge. Arsenal and Leeds do battle. Stoke versus Brentford. The Hammers face Manchester City, the reigning champions. Leicester and Brighton in an all-Premier League affair. Burnley and Tottenham is the same. QPR and Sunderland is the other tie. And Preston against Liverpool complete the lot of fourth-round ties. That's it for the first part of Football Social Daily. As we say, we'll be discussing Phil Jones and Pep Guardiola next. What a combination. You can hear it after this on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show from Sport Social. Why not head to our website, sport-social.co.uk, for a load of match previews and match reviews for every Premier League fixture, as well as the latest news around your favourite top flight club. That's sport-social.co.uk. We're going to talk about Phil Jones now because he returned to a matchday squad for the first time in 600 plus days for Manchester United in that Carabao Cup game against West Ham. We'll talk about more of his journey rather than the game itself because he didn't come on. It's been 19 months since his last involvement in a Manchester United matchday squad. Jim, he was speaking on a recent podcast with Manchester United saying that he's been to Helen back with his injury situation. What's your take on the scenario surrounding Phil Jones? Because there's been quite a lot of scapegoating sent his way and quite a lot of criticism as well. My first takeaway is that nobody wants to be injured and nobody wants to receive stick. It's been a difficult journey for him and he's back in a matchday squad last night for the first time in over a year and a half. What's your take? I think you're exactly right. I mean, if you're a player who's injured and you've got an uncertain return date, you're not going to tear up your contract and go, it's all right. I don't need the medical care. I don't need the money. I'll go and find a new club, even though I'm crooked for an uncertain period. So in no way has the fact he's been sitting on a treatment table, taking 250 grand a week or whatever he's on off the club. In no way is that his fault. I think what's important, though, at this stage is that now he is regaining fitness. Either he finds that move if his future isn't at Manchester United and he doesn't sit in the reserves or continue to warm the bench. If he feels like there is a role for him to play, if the club feels like there is a role for him to play, fair enough, stick around, earn your money. But if there's not, you find your move. You thank the club for their support and their care during your injury layoff and you move on. Or he performs on the pitch and he proves that he has got a place at Manchester United, which I think most Manchester United fans would probably think is the less likely of those two situations. But undoubtedly, Phil Jones is a defender with quality. And I think he gets a bit of a bad rap for when he does play because of his playing style. He is kind of a traditional, no-nonsense English centre-back. He throws himself around. He's unorthodox, shall we say, in some of the challenges that he puts in. But he does a job and he... Stops the goodens, as you say, as is the traditional term. I think football's moved on a little bit in terms of its style, and he probably isn't. I was just saying he isn't the ball playing centre back, but I almost corrected myself because when he first came on the scene for Manchester United, he was a ball playing centre back, and that was certainly. I think he is. I think he is capable of that, definitely. Mm. So I mean, has he got a future at Manchester United? It feels unlikely, and it doesn't feel like he's. I mean, he's certainly not going to be a first choice centre back. But I think mm. he's got a future in the top flight of English football. I think there's plenty of clubs that could do with a Phil Jones. Yeah, I mean, you talk about that, but there's that question which always comes up. Why don't they just sell him? 
you know, he's not going to get in the side, say, most Manchester United fans, because you've got Lindelof, Eric Bailly, Raphael Varane, and Harry Maguire, of course, is the captain. So the chance of him getting in the side at the moment, unfortunately for Phil Jones, he's bottom of the pecking order when it comes to, to centre-halves for the first team. So then again, people just go, why don't they just sell him? But there are flaws to that, Marley, because, you know, he's been injured for nearly two years. And he's on a decent contract at Manchester United. So who's who's going to sign him, I guess, is the question. Yeah, this is this is something people say. And it's not as, as easy as, you know, going on FIFA and clicking transfer list and waiting, someone, waiting for someone to inevitably come in for him. Because he's on a massive wage. Um, he's been injured for a long time. He's not a great age. I think he's... How old is he now? He must be 28, 29 now. Which is sort of in his prime, but also towards his 30s and you, you tend to get more injuries when you when you tick over that hill of 30 so you know that's going to put off players um sorry put off clubs and it wound me up a couple of years ago remember when Chris Smalling went on loan um to to Roma and people were like well why have we loaned out Smalling and not Jones and it was like well if you were Roma who would you buy Smalling or Jones you know it's of course you'd buy Smalling. He's just fell out of favour. So he would, you know, it's not as easy as saying, well, you know, we'll give you Jones. Roma are gonna then come and say, well, we want the better one of the two lads, if that's all right. Um, so you know, when when you come into, it's the same in the in the rest of the transfer market. If your if your options are Phil Jones or someone else who's not on a hundred grand a week and not been injured for eighteen months, you're probably gonna pick someone else. So I feel like this Jones situation is only ever going to end when he runs down his contract and leaves on a free and then possibly goes and proves himself again. Um, but we'll have to see in future because no one's going to be knocking on Man United's door or sending them emails saying, we'll give you 15 million or 10 million for Phil Jones um, because it, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. But I do I do think there's still a decent player in there. He just needs a bit of love and a, an arm around him and the right manager, just like... Um, just like John Stones at uh, at Man City, he, w- he was on the scrap heap at one point, and he's came back into the team, and he's playing. You know, he's one of the best centre backs in England now. So, Jones was that at one point. So, you know, it's been a long time since he was at that level. But can he get back to that level? You know, you you've got to back yourself. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if he does ever get a run of uh, games in the Premier League and. Um, maybe not for Man United, but for someone else, and just see what level he's still at. Because I still think there's a there's an at least decent player in there. Would you take him at West Ham, Jim? If Phil Jones rocked up at the London Stadium on a couple of years contract, would you be happy with that? I would have at some point. I mean, I think the, he's probably not first choice centre back at West Ham now because of the recruitment of Kurt Zuma. So, in terms of our situation, I probably would have taken him six months ago. Now, maybe less so, but. I think there's plenty of clubs that could benefit from him and a fit Phil Jones is probably an upgrade in a lot of people's centre-back pairing. I mean, even look at a team like Spurs at the moment who have got massive problems in their defensive lineup. He'd do a job there for them at the moment, particularly while they're low on numbers. So there is a route for him somewhere. But as Marley says, he kind of needs the right manager and he needs someone to show a bit of trust and a bit of faith in him. As for him leaving Manchester United, it's difficult to see that they're going to recoup any money from him. I think if he does leave, it's going to be on a free. It'll be a cancelled contract 
with some kind of negotiation around wages, similar to what's happened at Winston Reed at West Ham. So they've just cancelled his contract there. They're given a payout on the remaining part of his deal so he can go and find a new club. So I think there's a negotiation to be had between Phil Jones and Manchester United because in that Manchester United lineup, what is he, fifth, maybe even sixth in line centre back? So he's not going to see any genuine game time. And that's what he needs right now. Phil Jones returns to a Manchester United matchday squad for the first time in more than 600 days against West Ham United in the Carabao Cup last night. He didn't play, but I'm sure he'll be involved at some point in the near future for the Red Devils. We're going to talk about Pep Guardiola now because in the aftermath of Manchester City's convincing win over Wickham Wanderers in their League Cup tie this week, he was asked in a post-match press conference about some of the young players that were involved in the Manchester City side in that victory over Wickham. There were a number of of young players who have been playing for the club's EDS side, which is the elite development squad. And uh, a lot of them are sort of under the age of 21. And uh, Pep Guardiola had some interesting comments. He was basically asked about the development of these players. And he ended up going on a bit of a a strange, not a tangent, but a, a strange train of thought, which involved possibly putting the elite development squad side in the Football League. Now, we've already seen the likes of the EFL Trophy welcome under-21 sides from Premier League clubs into the competition, and that was met with disdain. I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan of that. I wasn't at the time, and I'm still not, but it's kind of here to stay. He also suggested, Pep Guardiola, that maybe instead of the EFL Trophy, that these elite development squad sides should be playing in the Championship and League One against better quality opposition to make them better players. Now, as someone who supports a football league team and as someone who remembers Manchester City as a poor side in the championship and down in League One at one point, this baffles me that the manager of Manchester City would say this. But at the same time, it doesn't because Pep Guardiola is only interested in himself. And I'm sorry, I have no interest in Manchester City's young players. I don't care whether he thinks they should play in the championship. I don't care whether he thinks playing against... Adebayo, Akin, Fenwar every week will make them a better player. That I have no interest in the quality of Manchester City's young players. None whatsoever. I care more about Wickham Wanderers and them surviving as a football club and not undermining the history and the legacy of the football pyramid we've got. You know, so, so that's my thoughts on it. I'll play Pep Guardiola's clip in a little second so people can um, get a little bit of a greater understanding of what he was suggesting. But what do you think, Marley? Because it's not the first time that Pep and other managers have come up with this sort of theory that maybe putting their reserve sides, for want of a better term, in the football league is a good idea. Uh, I I hate this idea. I'm I'm in your boat. Um, Me too. I mm. think I I love what Guardiola's done in England and in his career. Um, I think he's took the Premier League to to another level, um, and he, he's forced teams to think differently about how they can how they can play and, and their philosophy and things like that but I think this this is the one part of him which reminds me that he's way out of touch with what English football is um, and English football is is much much deeper than than the top two divisions because in Spain you've got two you've got two top divisions uh, the the second tier is is littered with a few B teams and the third tier is just pretty much everyone's B teams and, and C teams in, in some uh, respects. Real Madrid, Castilla, um, Villarreal B, Valencia B, you know, Barcelona, um, Barcelona's B team as well. 
So just on that, Marley, as well, I think in most of those leagues, the positions that those teams, those B teams can reach is capped. Exactly. So if Barcelona yeah, yeah. B finish the top of Division 3, they can't go any higher. For example, I'm not sure exactly the specifics of it but that in my mind takes away a possible promotion place from a smaller club who might have never experienced football at that level so you know you've got the b team of a club like barcelona possibly taking away a moment of glory for a side who might have never experienced that before which i don't think is fair yeah um yeah total agreement i i don't see that could never work in england i just think you know there are you know you look at League One, and there's some huge clubs in League One: Portsmouth, Sunderland, um, you know, Ipswich. yeah, Ipswich, Charlton were in there last year, weren't they? And, and Wigan, yeah, yes, still are Wigan as well. Yeah, yeah we, you know, there's 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 loads of teams. So I feel like this is just the one thing. I understand Pep's point, by the way. I do understand the point of them playing competitively, but also that's your responsibility as Man City manager. That is the that is the 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 product of you farming all these young players and getting them to play for Man City and then not being able to do anything with them. You've got... Why not sell them? Just sell them to lower why league not clubs. Play them? To play down there. Why, why not give them... Yeah. Well, they can't. Well, well, yeah. Why not play them all well, why not? He can't play them and that's what he's moaning about. He wants to play them in more games because that gives them more experience. Well, but it's too well, that's, risky because the decis- they're not ready to step into the first team. That's the decision which of the football club. Which is why it took club. Phil Foden exactly, so long to come the decision through. Of the but that is the way the that. game works. It's the way the game works in this country. No, it is. If, if they you can't just farm players, talent and hoard talent. Yeah, send them out on loan or sell them and yeah, buy them back exactly, when they're ready. Exactly. That's the way it's been in football for decades. It's only very recently that clubs like Manchester City and Chelsea have bought players in. And Manchester City are in a completely unique scenario where they have seen a revenue stream in terms of their development of young players. So they're not even talking about giving players first team experience to bring them into their first team. They're talking about giving players first team experience against men's football to build them as commodities. It's a completely different scenario. And, And as you said at the top, No, it's incredibly selfish of Manchester City and Pep Guardiola to take that approach because, newsflash, football isn't just about the Premier League. That's not what the football pyramid is there to do. It's not there to support the Premier League and make it get even richer and make it the the divide between the Premiership League and the Football League get even bigger. And that's what this kind of attitude does. It just feeds that scenario. But yeah, I mean, fundamentally, the problem is you've got too many young players that you don't necessarily know are good enough or are going to be good enough and you can't develop them all without giving them a proper taste of first team football. So it, it's kind of the system that's broken, but Pep Guardiola complaining about the fact he can't manage a situation properly that has been created by his football club is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I want to make it clear, like exactly what Marley said earlier on, I have huge respect for Pep Guardiola and what he's done for the game in this country. And to caveat this conversation, he did say, I'm not here to change the way football is done in this country. And his opinion on this is nonsense. Um, I respect a lot about Pep Guardiola. I can't respect his thoughts on this. Here's the clip. You can make your own mind up. I think we're all in agreement. You might have a different view. If you do, let us know at the Sports Social on Twitter. But here's Pep Guardiola speaking after the game earlier this week. They can have this rhythm because they train with us otherwise we could not play but the better would be if every week they could play against Wickham if every weekend they could play against this legend striker from Wickham 
that would be the better, the best development for these players. Not just with training with us against uh, the defenders play against Rush, against Phil, against Gabriel, against Riyadh, against these type of players. They should play every day in teams like Championship or League One. That will be the best development for the English football. For the English football, that will be the best. That would be what's best for English football. No, it would. <laughs> That's what Pep Guardiola said. Be what's best for Manchester City. And it's potentially what's best for the development of young players under Man City's stewardship. But as but football as a whole, football as a culture, 100% it is not what's best for football. It's not what's best for English football because I think 24 out of the 30 players involved in Gareth Southgate's England squad for the Euros, in which England reached the final, either played in, on loan, or for an EFL club in their own right, in the Football League. So I think that says it all. The system isn't broken. I think it's like what you say, it's what's best for Pep Guardiola and Manchester City. And I think a lot of the fans of Manchester City will be on side with this because they know what it's like to be down there in the lower divisions. You know, that famous day 20, 22 years ago in which they were promoted from League One by beating Gillingham and that, that great moment, you know, with Paul Dickov running off in celebration, that's iconic for Manchester City. Imagine if Manchester United reserves or Chelsea reserves, or Arsenal reserves, ended up pinching that final spot and getting, you know, and denying Man City promotion. It just, it's unthinkable. It's unfathomable. Unfortunately for me, I can't agree with Pep Guardiola. It's one of those things where I think Pep Guardiola's got a bit of a bee in his bonnet because he knows, Marley, that these players can be something special. They can be huge assets for Manchester City in the future, and he's unable to develop them in the same way that he's been used to at his previous clubs. But is that just... What comes with the territory? Like you say, we've got this historic, prestigious pyramid. It's different to any other country in the world in terms of the depth of the professional level of football in this country. So do you think that's just the source of frustration from Pep rather than a genuine desire to insert B teams into the football league? Yeah, I just, uh, you know, <laughs> there's there's 72 clubs outside the Premier League who could be loaned one of these amazing players you're talking about to... So. I I don't buy into the fact that they're not going to develop, um, you know, in training with them, and I don't buy into the fact that you can't loan them out. You know, the loan system's there for for um, for many reasons. One being to bring potential, you know, to to build potential of of players. So, you know, it it's there. That that's how we work in England. It's how we have done for years. Um, any change to it is not going to go down well. Um, especially when it's so obviously to benefit Manchester City. You know, he he say, you know, I want a B team. Yeah, your B team might do mint, mate, but we don't care because what's the point in having a B team if you can't get promoted to the Premier League? Ultimately, what's the point in having um a team where they can't dream because all they all they all they're dreaming of is to get into the Man City first team. That's that's not right in my opinion. So uh this this whole situation his little dream situation is is never going to come to fruition um so as, as soon as the sooner he gets over it the sooner we can all move on and forget about it to be honest so yeah long may that uh well soon may that happen i really like pep guardiola i don't want it to come across as if i'm i'm a, a hater of pep guardiola although he has been getting on my nerves recently he also complained <laughs> in the same interview about the premier league being the only league that doesn't have five substitutions and guess how many he made on tuesday against wickham jim all five expertly used and negotiated at the right times to give them the victory they needed. No, he made two. 
and he oh. still complained about it after the game. Respect immensely what he's done for Manchester City and for the game in this country, but I'm sorry, Mr. Guardiola. I don't think we can get on board. We're going to be talking about the World Cup next. It's in the winter of 2022, but there was some big Premier League news regarding it yesterday. We'll talk about it next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. I'm Niall alongside me, Jim Salverson and Marley Anderson. And the Premier League yesterday confirmed that there will be a winter break for the World Cup in Qatar, which takes place in 2022. This break will last seven weeks. It will start in the middle of November and the Premier League will resume again on Boxing Day, the 26th of December. The season will also begin a week earlier at the start of August and it will end a week later right at the end of May, which means that the Champions League and the FA Cup finals will be pushed back to June. Obviously, with there being a Winter World Cup for the first time, at least in my lifetime or maybe ever, not that I can remember as this ever happened, Marley, um, this has to be the case because of the heat and the extreme weather over there in the Middle East. Do you think this winter break will make much of a difference in terms of how it affects the Premier League? A lot of people have suggested that it might make the World Cup better because players won't be so tired because it's midway through a season. They should be at peak fitness. Do you think that will affect the Premier League, though? Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad we're having a break. <laughs> I'm glad we're having a break for the World Cup. That's very nice of the Premier League to say, OK, we won't carry on during the World Cup. And you've just got to use all your players that aren't good enough to get there. It was a nightmare um, when Pompey were in the Premier League when the African Cup of Nations was on because we didn't have any players. They always <laughs> to go off to the African Cup of Nations. And we still have to carry on. To be fair, that's exactly what happens in rugby. <laughs> it's like they play. I was just mm-hmm. about to say about rugby. It's, yeah, rugby union. It's, just yeah. What you, it's kind of just mm. what you're used to to a certain extent, I think. And obviously, there's less players involved at international level at rugby because you haven't got. 78 nations or whatever it is involved in the World Cup but they did, that they will certainly please Pep yeah. wouldn't it? if all, all of his players had gone off to the World Cup you can play some of your young yeah, kids exactly. then Pep, perfect solution you? yeah but um, yeah it's you know it's going to be different I think it's going to go down like a lead balloon to be honest um, in terms of the whole feel of it you know nobody you know there's still a million questions you can ask about Qatar and how they got it and why they got it and did they deserve to get it and how this whole thing came to fruition, but you know it's here now and it's it's not going anywhere. Um, so I think with with the Premier League, you know, it'll it'll be different. It'll be like you say, you know, teams are uh, sorry, players are at full fitness. They they're going mid season before they start playing twice a week in the knockout stages of the Champions League and the Europa League and things like that. So it is it is going to be different. So I can't say if it's going to be better or worse. You. Logic would suggest it'd be better, but then again, you're playing in 35 degree heats in the Far East, and there's all kinds of other things that, to caveat the the peak fitness thing. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see, basically. But you know, it's it's certainly going to be different. The most different set of circumstances you need to win a World Cup um, is is going to come in the the winter of 2022. Yeah, definitely. Well, actually, on Football Social Daily, The Dugout, which is our preview show with former professional players, we spoke to former England and Everton man Trevor Stephen, who's been working out in the Middle East in recent years. And he had some interesting thoughts on the fact that the World Cup will be played in Qatar. Let's have a listen. First and foremost, it had to go to to winter. Um, You know, when Qatar got that 
uh, you know, were awarded the, the World Cup, the staging of it. It is just ridiculously hard. I've lived in the Middle East for 10 years and I've worked in Qatar for the last seven years. In summer, it's just unbearable. The players couldn't play. It would be dangerous, in fact, not only for the players, but for any spectators. So the time of year that it is, the weather's perfect. It's absolutely perfect for, for football. And uh, the World Cup itself should, should be amazing because um, all these uh, stadia are literally within about 20 miles of each other. That's the thoughts of Trevor Stephen speaking to us on the dugout here on Football Social Daily a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the World Cup in Qatar in winter 2022. He's lived out in the Middle East for the last decade, Jim, and he says that this is almost an inevitable decision due to that extreme heat. I just wonder whether it will make the World Cup better. Will we be seeing more winter World Cups? I mean, he's 100% right. It was inevitable, and I think the moment it was announced that the World Cup was going to be in Qatar, that it was going to flip to a winter World Cup. And I mean, there are questions, as Marley rightly points out, there's questions that need to be asked as to how and why Qatar got the World Cup in the first place. But now it's there. If we can compartmentalise our moral standpoint on the situation, I think it could end up being a fantastic event. I think one of the things that I like about World Cups is when they embrace the culture and they present something a little bit different to the competitions that have come before. One of the problems with the Euros this year was it didn't have that one nation flying the flag. It wasn't the Euros in France or the Euros in Belgium or wherever it was. It was just kind of around Europe. And that was exaggerated by the whole COVID situation and the fact that fans couldn't travel. But I think what we're going to see in Qatar is something incredibly unique. We're going to see some amazing purpose-built stadiums. I mean... Trevor says that the, the the footballing conditions are perfect. I, I'm I'm not entirely sure whether that's the case. I think there's a lot of the uh, certainly the northern hemisphere teams that are probably going to struggle because the heat is still going to be extreme, far in excess of what we experience in a UK summer, and we don't play football in the summer in the UK. So I I do question that slightly, but I think in terms of a spectacle, it could be absolutely fantastic. The infrastructure is there now. Whether fans will travel or not, that's another question. But it's going to be something incredibly unique. And I do quite like the idea of the winter break as well, for exactly the reasons that we've kind of highlighted. Players are going to be at peak fitness. They're going to be at peak performance levels, which is rarely the case during a World Cup. So often during a World Cup, you've got players that just think of England's history who are struggling to come back from niggles and injuries that they've picked up at the tail end of the season. Here, we're going to have a squad of players at peak fitness well every nation will and I think that could make a real difference to the level and quality of football that's played we did have a winter break in inverted commas last season but it was about two weeks yeah, it was like eight <laughs> days or something <laughs> yeah it was ridiculous shouldn't have really counted um, but what about the players who aren't going to be taking part in the World Cup now the majority of Premier League players are internationals but not all of those countries will be involved in that World Cup in Qatar Mali so Effectively, with a seven-week break, it's like having another pre-season for those players. Do you think we could see some unfit players returning, or we might see some strange stories upon the resumption of the Premier League, which will be on Boxing Day? Uh, possibly, yeah. Um, it is a a weird thing, you know. Um, 
you know, you have, have, have seven weeks off. If, <laughs> if you have seven <laughs> weeks off. through a season. But, yeah, but don't go Christmas shopping and don't start <laughs> relaxing with your family. Yeah, you probably could, you know. You know, <laughs> There could be some really fat footballers come January who uh, <laughs> haven't quite made it to the World Cup and, and have uh, smashed every tin of celebrations in a six-mile radius in, in preparation <laughs> for Christmas. So, yeah, it could be, it could be another a little caveat, another little... Um, thing to think about for 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 clubs, I suppose. Um, but yeah, we'll have to <laughs> just hope that you know players remain professional and and things like that. Because you can imagine someone walking back into the training ground, having you know won the World Cup, and half your teammates are, are thirteen stone, <laughs> and you're just like, what what have you done for the last seven weeks? I've been out in Qatar, sweating my balls off trying to win a World Cup, and you've been here, you know, drinking prosecco and uh, and enjoying life with your family, but. Yeah, it is. It is another weird thing to to consider, I suppose, because seven weeks is a long time. You know, usually players go on holiday for two weeks and come back and do two weeks hard hard running and then two weeks of sort of normal training. But yeah, I mean, when you're losing some of your squad for that, it's uh, it, just, it definitely affects your your preparation. So we might see a load of friendlies getting played to try and. Just keep them uh, ticking over until the uh, until the players come back from the World Cup. And just finally on this, Jim, the World Cup final is on the 18th of December 2022. At least that's when it's been scheduled for for the time being. If the Premier League returns on the 26th of December, well, you don't need to be a mathematician to work out that that's a pretty short lag time between the end of the World Cup and the start or the resumption of the Premier League. Do you think that, as we mentioned just there, there's obviously going to be players who might come back from that break unfit do you think that we also might see those players that are involved in the world cup missing that resumption of the premier league season on the 26th of december just so they can have a bit of a break i mean that's going to be up for managers to decide when and where they give their players some kind of rest i think it's probably more likely we might see players rested at the end of the season because as we said before you've got players going out to the world cup in peak fitness the schedule yeah, I mean, should cup- they need a break well, Do they even it. need a break? Because, it, it, I mean, it kind of factors into the normal top flight season, does it not? Completely. They would have been playing games anyway. Yeah, that exactly. That's exactly my point. Uh, so when you give them a break, I mean, chances are they might not make it to the end of the season. But when you whether you rest them for the less important games in the Premier League, the cup games or whatever, that's going to be up for the decision of the management. And it's part of their job to manage that. You're also assuming that there's going to be a whole load of Premier League players that make it through to the World Cup final at that date. So they will have that shot. I mean, <laughs> round robin. There's only, there's only two teams. Inv- I don't know if you know this, only two teams involved in a World Cup final. So the actual impact and the amount of players that will be affected by that will be limited. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of Premier League faces that are out there in the group stages, but it's obviously going to get less and less every stage. So if England, for example, got to the World Cup final, which I think is extreme optimism, then <laughs> there will be a fair few familiar faces on show, but less so if it's someone like Italy there again. So we'll have to wait and see what it is. But even then, even if it is a 22-man Premier League elite that's on the pitch for the World Cup final, they have still got a week between the World Cup final and the Premier League resuming, and then it is going to be up to the managers of those players and the clubs and their varying fitness levels to decide whether, yeah, we just roll into the season and carry on or whether they get one week, two weeks off. And I expect it will be the former. 
Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what does happen. The Premier League will have a winter break for that World Cup in Qatar in 2022. That will start in the middle of November and end just after Christmas. It will last seven weeks. I wonder what we're going to do, Jim, on Football Social Daily throughout that seven-week period. What we, what, what do you reckon? Do you reckon we'll be... We'll be st- Daily podcast. Maybe three three times a day. <laughs> Extra podcast <laughs> to be, keep up today. It'll be like our own pre-season, but we'll be looking forward to the return of the Premier League, no doubt. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you, Marley, for your company as ever. Thank you for listening to Football Social Daily today. Don't forget, if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss another episode of the podcast again. We'll be back again tomorrow, and we'll also be looking ahead to the weekend's Premier League action in our new show for the season called The Dugout. Francis Benali and Michael Johnson, two former Premier League players, will be joining me on the show to look ahead to those games, including that mouth-watering clash between Chelsea and Manchester City at Stamford Bridge. So hit subscribe, as I say, and that way you won't miss one. And we'll catch you next time here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumba no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus